What a great promise. No matter what we're going through, the Lord will carry us through. Amen. Let's look in our Bibles this evening, Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. counted a great privilege to have the opportunity, as we all should, to preach the Word, teach the Word, share the Word. Uh, you think about that. The Lord gives us the privilege to take His words and tell the world about Him. Acts chapter 11. I'd like to preach a message this evening on the life of Barnabas, on the life of Barnabas, and we're going to kind of going through a couple of different places in Acts, but we're going to start in Acts chapter number 11. We'll start reading in verse number 22. The Bible says, then, the, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that your word is clear, your promises are sure. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, when we're faced with situations or circumstances in life that we have no place to turn. We can turn to your word. We can depend on you, Lord, and we know that you will carry us. Lord, that you're there for us. And Lord, that you don't forsake us, but Lord, you're there each and every step of the way with us, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're dealing with. And Lord, we're thankful for those promises. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us, encourage us through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Barnabas is an interesting person. You know, when we think of the, of, of the life of Barnabas, we always associate him with the Apostle Paul because for the most part, the two of them served and went on missionary journeys and spread the gospel together. But I want to really focus on the life of Barnabas because, you know, the life of Barnabas is a life of ministry. You say, well, that's okay for you, but I'm not in ministry. We are all in ministry Ministry is defined as work or vocation of a minister of religion, okay? But it also is defined as the spiritual work or service of any Christian. That's all of us. And so when we look at the life of Barnabas as a life of ministry, as a minister of God that he was, I think we can learn some things from his life. We can take these, his example of how he conducted himself, how he served the Lord, and we can learn some things. And listen, his life wasn't perfect. None of us is. And sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, sometimes we do dumb things. But you know what? The Lord is gracious. The Lord is forgiving. God is so good. We sang that song this morning, How Great Thou Art. You know, we don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve the grace of God, but He extends it to us anyway. And we can, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our, of our stumbles, even in the midst of our sin, God is still there. And God desires to use each and every one of us. So let's look a little bit of a background first on the life of Barnabas. We know that he was a companion of Paul for a good part of his life until we get to the book of Acts chapter number 15, and we'll cover that later in the message. But Paul and, and Barnabas ended up having a dispute, and they separated and went their own ways. We know that the apostle Paul was from Tarsus, which is in Cilicia, which is Turkey today. And Barnabas was from Cyprus. Now, the reason I bring that up is because Cilicia and Cyprus are two Gentile nations. Now, Barnabas and Paul were Jews, but they were from Gentile nations. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, it's important for this reason. You know, they had an opportunity to reach people that other Jews would not. What, is it, what does that mean? Each and every one of us has opportunities to reach people in our circle that other people in this church would never have an opportunity to reach. I'll take that one step further. Think of somebody that we know famous. Think of Tim Tebow. Pronounced Christian. Uh, very vocal in his faith. Very, very, he stands by what he believes and he won't waver on that. But let, let, let's understand, he's a professional athlete. 
most of us would never have an opportunity to witness to any of those people, but he can. And so when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and the, and the life of Barnabas, they were, grew up in Gentile nations, but were Jews. So they had opportunity. They were aware of the customs in those nations. They were familiar with the people of those nations. And each and every one of us has opportunities in where we are, in our culture, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, to reach people that other people may never have. If we read in Acts chapter number 4, the Bible says, And Joseph, who, uh, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. And here's the verse I want to focus on, verse 37 of Acts 4. It says, Having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas gave it all. You know, when he was ready to be a minister for God, when he was ready to go out there and serve the Lord, he didn't hold back. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to hold back a little just in case this minister thing doesn't work out for me. I have a little nest egg waiting for me. As I've shared with you before, I am the king of plan Bs. I, I, I'm telling you, for, for my, my wife is laughing and she'll tell you, safety nets are my thing. And I learned... I learned early on that is not a surrender of everything. That is a partial surrender, which in reality is really not a surrender at all. And there was a point in my life where I had to, and I, listen, I knew this about myself, but it didn't really help me to change it. <laughs> the Lord had to show me that. But you know what? We can't have plan Bs. Because if we have plan Bs, we're relying on our plan B instead of the Lord's. If we're relying on a safety net in case, quote unquote, the Lord fails, well, I want to make sure just in case this thing doesn't work out. That's not faith. That's not surrendering all. Now, in this case, we see Barnabas, everything he had, he sold it. And he said, this is for the Lord. This is for the Lord. He gave it all. He sold all that he had. When we talk about ministering or being a minister, the Greek word for minister is diakoneo, which basically means to serve, but it means to serve as a slave, that type of mentality. In other words, we're there to serve and do whatever and wherever our master calls us to serve. That is ministering. That's a hard thing because we don't like to be told what to do. We like to have our own will. We want to do our own thing. Lord, I'll follow you, but it needs to line up with my plan. And God says, no, that's not surrender. That's not ministering. That is not a diakoneo. Okay, that's you giving part of you to me, but holding on to another part. He's called in verse 36 of Acts chapter 4, the son of consolation. An interesting phrase. The word consolation means exhortation, petition, or advocacy. He was the son of consolation or the son of exhortation. He was an exhorter. He was someone who was an encourager. He was someone who was always trying to be a blessing to people in any way he could. And we're going to see some of the things that were very helpful in that regard to, in, as, as part of uh, that aspect of his life. But it also could have possibly created a little bit of a conflict in his life as well. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But you say, well, how, how did Barnabas, how was he an exhorter? Where do you see that? If you turn back to the verse we just read uh, in Acts chapter 11 when we started, and I want to just focus on this for a second, then we'll get right into the message. In Acts chapter 11 and in verse 23, it says, when, I'm sorry, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, of God and was glad, and here it is, and exhorted them all. What did he exhort them with? That with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. You know, he didn't just come alongside and say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Which is, that's okay. That's a good thing. He didn't just say, hey, don't worry about it. You, you'll be fine. And leave them with nothing. You know what Barnabas did? He said, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to exhort them. Exhort them meaning to kind of, you know, nudge them in that direction. To kind of show them, hey, this is a good thing. To do what? To cleave unto the Lord. He want, the word cleave means to cling, to hang on to. Picture being in a hot air balloon, and it tips and you start to fall. And there's a rope hanging there, and you grab onto that rope so you don't fall, and you're hanging over the side. You see it in movies all the time. <laughs> it's real. Anyway, 
you hang on to that rope. If that was reality, you would hang on to that rope with every ounce of energy you had. You would cleave and grip onto it for dear life because you know the minute you let go, it was over. That's what the word cleave means. That's how we need to cleave unto the Lord. To hold on to the Lord with every ounce of energy we have, with every last bit of strength that we have, because if we let go, we're done. That's what cleave means. That's what Barnabas was exhorting the people to do. So I want to look at a few things here of his life in the ministry, and I want to encourage us. Listen, whether you're in full-time ministry, whether you're regularly working in Sunday school classes here, maybe you're thinking about it, maybe you've never done it, let me encourage you. Listen, we are all in ministry, one way or another. We're all called. The Great Commission is to all believers. That's a ministry, okay? We are called to reach a lost and dying world. That is not a part-time job. That is not just for people who are, uh, you know, uh, full-time vocational type of... No, that is for everyone. It's ministry. So we are all to minister, to be a diaconeo, to, to serve our God. He is master. We are the servants. And that's the attitude we need to have. So let's look at the life of Barnabas. Number one, I see that Barnabas had the appropriate attitude for the ministry. You say, you need to have a right attitude for ministry? Uh-huh. <laughs> Listen, if we go into ministry thinking it's all about us, it's not going to work. Initially, we need to go in and say, hey, you know what? This is about the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. That's what we need to go into this as. Because if it's about us, it's not going to work. But let's look at some of the things in Acts chapter 11 about the attitude that Barnabas had. In verse 23, it says, well, let's start in verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. Was glad. He was a glad man. You say, well, come on now. Is that a right? Yeah. Listen, we can walk around and be miserable in ministry, or we can walk around and be glad. I love what Pastor Nick said from the pulpit last week. And he said in talking to Pastor Weigel, he said, this has been fun. And everybody kind of chuckled like that. <laughs> but you know what? It is fun. Now, am I going to sit here and say that there are times where, you know, things aren't going the right way and there's days when you're like, man, this has been one of those days. And uh, Yeah, there's days like that. There's days like that. But you know what? Ministry, ministering, is fun. It needs to be enjoyable. Why? We get. We get to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to use us. He wants to. But it's not like sometimes I think we have a mindset like, well, the Lord needs me. No, he doesn't. We need him. <laughs> but he doesn't need us. Yet he chooses to use us. It's awesome. It's wonderful. Listen, five years, and, and by the way, let me just throw this in there, and it was in the bulletin, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, my wife and I want to thank you guys. Um, we appreciate it so much. We, we feel so much love over the years in this church. I can't, words can't even express that. But you know what? The last five years here have been a thrill. They really have. I feel like when, 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 uh, Pastor Nick and I first started here. I told my wife this, and she she was the one who actually brought it to my attention. She got she said, "You guys look like you fit perfectly together," and that's the way I feel. That's the way I feel. There's, you, listen, we understand. Hey, you know, Pastor Weigel, he's the pastor of the church, and we're here to serve and to do whatever's needed. But we work well together, and I love it. And you know what? That's enjoyable. Because you need to have the right attitude. You need to have gladness. Listen, that word glad doesn't just mean oh, put a smile on your face. No, you want to know what that word glad means? I'm going to read you a verse that we're familiar with. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 2, it's the Christmas story, so we know it. In verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's the same word, rejoiced and glad. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they saw the star, they were thrilled to death. And in verse 23, it says, when he had seen the grace of God, was glad. Doesn't mean he just put a smile on his face. Man, he saw God working. He was thrilled. He was excited. When somebody gets saved, are you thrilled? When somebody gets baptized, are you overjoyed and rejoicing? Because we should be. It's exciting. Oh, they're doing baptisms again. That's going to cut another 10 minutes out of my lunchtime. 
No. <laughs> the things that pop into my mind, you have no idea. And I try and filter it sometimes. I'm, I'm telling you I do. Listen, <laughs> Listen, we should be excited. Listen, VBS is coming up. One of the things they always, always encourage all the leaders of VBS is what? When you come in here, you need to be excited. Because if we're not excited, those kids won't be excited. I guarantee you this. If you're excited, the kids will be excited. Working in Awana years ago, not this time around, but when, when my wife and I first started serving here, I remember Dawn Melcheski, she was doing the games, and she asked me one time, she says, can you do the game for the young ones? I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. She goes, you'll be fine, just learn the games. And my wife and I talked to her, I said, all I know how to do is get the kids excited and have them run around and scream and holler and be happy. And that's what I did. And that's what I did. <laughs> Pastor would tell me later, because we used to do a wana over here where the uh, school office is, and he would tell me, he says, I'm in there preaching. All I hear is this screaming and carrying on going on. And Dawn would say, oh, that's just, that's just Mike Dewana. He's over there with the kids. But you know what? The kids loved it. I loved it. I was exhausted afterward. But the kids loved it. We need to be excited. We need to be excited. I say, well, what about when things go bad? The Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Listen, that requires the grace of God. You mean when my life is falling apart, I need to be overjoyed? Yeah. Friday, we had one of those days. It, it was one of those days that you get up in the morning, and by the time you get to the end of the night, you want to go back and go, can we redo this day? My car, my son was come flying in from Florida. So my daughter went to pick him up. She drove to the airport, no problem. They're coming back on 295. My son's driving. I get a phone call. Dad, your car died. I'm like, okay. Now, I have a, a tour scheduled in the school in about 20 minutes. He's in the middle of 295. He says, Dad, I can't even open the car door because we're so close to the railing and the traffic. I'm like, oh. I said, what happened? Car won't start. It just shut off. I tried to turn it back on. Nothing. It's completely dead. I'm thinking, okay, let's take care of the kids, make sure they're all safe. So my wife had to drive. It, it was a long, long day. We call a tow truck. We have roadside service. We'll be there in four hours. Isn't it great when you pay for that wonderful service? I'm going to leave that alone because then I'm going to get in the flesh. So we'll leave that alone. So I said, okay, fine. So I'll wait. 6.30 comes around. The tow truck shows up. My son calls me up. Dad, the tow truck's here. I said, yeah. He said, tow truck broke down. <laughs> I wish I could make this up. This is exactly what happened. He said, he pulled up right in front of the car and he broke down. He said, there's fluid all over the highway from his truck. I'm like, okay. He says, if another tow truck comes, they can't tow me because the other tow truck's in the way. So I call up them back. I said, listen, I need another tow truck. I need you to expedite this. <laughs> woman on the phone says to me, we don't expedite. <laughs> so <laughs> my, <laughs> my, um, <laughs> I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, all right, we just need to calm down. We'll be, we'll be all right. And I said, well, I need to, you need to, well, we'll get them there as soon as we can. I said, I want some there, somebody there in an hour. Yeah, they're like, we're going to get somebody there in 45 minutes. Good. They call up. They say, yeah, our tow truck's three hours away. We can't get anybody there in 45 minutes. Long story short, they finally get a tow truck there. So they got picked up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They showed up at my house at like 1030 at night. And all I kept thinking about is, wow, now my car doesn't start. I don't even know what that's going to cost. And you know what? It's very easy. And i got to be honest with you, I wasn't the most glad person that day. <laughs> but you know what? God's in control of it all. God knew that was going to happen. I look at it and I say, praise the Lord that my kids were safe. Amen. Listen, it's a car, okay? I'm getting mad at somebody on the, on the end of the phone. Why? God's got this. He already knew what was going on. But sometimes we allow the circumstances of life to rob us of the joy. And then we come to serve ministry. I'm like, well, that person doesn't like me. I'm not going to witness to them. What they need is Jesus. He was a glad man. Letter B, he was a good man. It says, he was glad and escorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Sometimes we say, well, I want to know what God's will is for my life. We need to live a life that is good. What does good mean? It's defined as upright or honorable, free from guile, useful. See, we want to be used of the Lord but we don't want to live a life where God looks down on us and sees us as useful, upright, honorable. We need to live upright, honorable lives 
not Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And that's, listen, I understand it requires the grace of God. Because the devil's out there. The temptations are out there. The attacks are out there. We need God's grace. But we have victory in Jesus. We don't need to live defeated lives. We don't need to surrender to those temptations. You know what? Jesus Christ was at all points tempted as are we are, but was without sin. What does that mean? That, listen, he understands our infirmities. He understands what we're going through. And what he wants us to do is just trust in him and not give in to the desires and the lusts of the flesh. He wants us to be honorable. The Bible doesn't say that he was a perfect man. Now, I know the Bible uses the word perfect to, to talk about uh, maturity and spiritual maturity. But I'm talking about, it doesn't say we need to be perfect. Sometimes I think we equate, you know, being uh, upright and honorable with being perfect. That's, that's not what that means, okay? But we do need to live lives that bring honor and glory to the Lord, and, and we need to abstain from the things that the Lord tells us to stay away from. The devil will use our sins and the things in our life that we maybe look at as imperfections to convince us that we're not worthy. He does. I, you know, I, I can't serve, you know. I, yeah, we can do we desire to surrender it all and live lives that were honorable and useful for God's glory? That's the question. Barnabas made that decision. He surrendered it all. He was a good man. Let us see. He was a spirit-filled man. Verse 24, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Now listen, I understand that when we're saved, we receive all of the Holy Spirit. We do not get the Holy Spirit in pieces. We get all of the Holy Spirit. However, the Bible does tell us to not quench the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that by our actions, by our thoughts, by the things that we do, we can quench the Spirit's leading in our life. Listen, there are times God's Spirit is directing us and guiding us and putting a, a, a fire in our heart. Maybe it's for missions. Maybe it's for ministry. Maybe it's for our neighbor. Maybe it's for our family. And we go, no, I don't want to hear it. And we kind of spiritually we stick our fingers in our ear and we say, I'm not going to do it. You're quenching the Spirit. I don't want to hear it, Lord. I don't want to hear it. And listen, Keep working hard enough. And you know what? You'll stop hearing God altogether. We need to listen to the Spirit's leading. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 3. You know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, look what his prayer is. Ephesians 3 and in verse number 13. He says, wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And here it is, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, he didn't pray for salvation. They were already saved. He was writing to Christians. He was writing to believers. His prayer was that they would be strengthened with the Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us in Acts that Barnabas was a Spirit-filled man. Listen, we cannot do the work of the ministry apart from the Spirit of God working in us. It will not happen. There is nothing we can do in our own power that will be better or that will work better than the Spirit's leading and power and working in our lives. It just won't happen. You could try, but it'll fail. Well, I've had successes. You may have successes the way you see it, but it isn't what God desires. See, we look at successes differently than the Lord looks at successes. We look at successes in terms of numbers, tangible things that we can see. That's not how God looks at success. Does God have all of us? That's a way that God looks at success. Because listen, if God doesn't have all of us, he was a spirit-filled man. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 22, you have the comparison between the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. We know the work. We know the verses. We've read them. And these are the works of the spirit. And you know love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. And you read through those. But those 
are works that are manifest as the Spirit leads and as we surrender to the Spirit's leading in our life. The Bible says that we walk by what? By faith and not by sight. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. So you say, well, what's the will of God for my life? Okay, let's look it over in Ephesians. If you're still there, Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, there it is right there. Don't be unwise, but understand what God's will is. Look at the next verse. And be not drunk with wine. Wherein is excess? So the will of God is for me not to be drunk with wine. Well, yes, but look at the very next phrase. But be filled with the Spirit. So you say, well, what's the will of the Lord? It says, don't be unwise. The will of the Lord is to be filled with the Spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit of God, He will direct us. He'll give us discernment. He'll give us guidance. He'll point us in the right direction. It's like, I don't know what God wants me to do. Be filled with the Spirit. You'll know. He was a Spirit-filled man. Sometimes we need to stop worrying about feeling the Spirit of God and start praying for the power of the Spirit of God. Well, I don't feel it. Listen, there's times we get up and we don't feel like getting up. (laughs) That's just the way it is. Sometimes we don't feel good. Listen, if we're surrendered to God and we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, directing us, then we know, we know that God's going to give us the clarity and the direction and the strength we need to do His work. The Christian life is not a series of do's and don'ts. But we will not walk in the Spirit if we don't abstain from the things that God tells us to abstain from and if we don't follow the things that God tells us to follow after. So, in other words, listen, a lot of times people look at the Bible as nothing more than do's and don'ts. A set of rules, that's all it is. Well, no, (laughs) it's a whole lot more than that. However, however, there are things that God tells us to abstain from and there are things that God tells us to follow after. And we are not walking in the Spirit if we're not abstaining and we're not following the way God's commanded us. That's the bottom line. Well, I just feel this is the Spirit's leading, but that goes against the Bible. Yeah, but it's, I, that's just what I feel. No, that's what it is, a feeling. That's not the will of God. People don't want to hear that sometimes. And, and listen, I don't mean to be un, unloving or unkind, but the reality is if anything goes against the Word of God, it is not the will of God. He was a spirit-filled man. Letter D, he was a man of faith. I'm telling you, one verse gives us so much insight into who Barnabas was. It says he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. The Bible says, but without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. It doesn't say that it's sometimes possible. It says it is impossible to please God. Again, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Listen, it is faith that we need. It is faith. We came to Christ for salvation by faith. We believed by faith. Oftentimes, we come to the Lord for salvation by faith, but we don't live our lives after that by faith. It's like, well, yeah, I believe the Lord saved me. I believe God. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose victorious and he's alive today. I believe that. That's faith. So if the Lord's calling you, go, oh, yeah. And we, we stop ourselves from living by faith. Well, you're, you're trusting your eternal soul by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Why would you think that you could trust God for salvation by faith and that he is not going to again keep you and keep his promises as he has promised us to serve him and to do his work. And we question it. Romans 1.17 For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. Here it is. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It's a work of faith. Barnabas was a glad man, a good man. He was a spirit-filled man and he was a man of faith. I have a quote here. It says, We should not undervalue talent eloquence, or learning in the ministry. Listen, God has blessed us with those things. The talents we have, the the, the learning that we have gained, that's from the Lord. So we should not undervalue those things, but we may remark that humble piety will often do more in the conversion of souls than the most splendid talents. See, sometimes we rely, okay, on our talents and our eloquence and all the learning and the knowledge that we have, and we stop relying on the Holy Spirit of God as he leads us. The Spirit of God will use the talents that the Lord has given us for His glory. 
not the other way around. Sometimes we use our talents and say, well, I need the spirit now. That doesn't work. So an appropriate attitude for the ministry. Number two, an active approach to the ministry. Listen, being in ministry requires us to be active. It requires us to get involved. It requires us to be more than just saying, hey, I'd like to do that. We have a sign-up sheet for VBS. We need workers. I can't work with kids. <laughs> I never thought I would work. I was laughing with my wife the other day. Last week, was it? Or two weeks ago, we were talking about the... And we were discussing... I don't know how, we, how it came up, but I never thought I'd be working with kids. And every single ministry that God has opened doors for us has been with children. My wife and I love kids. We have four children of our own. Then we started working in Iwana 20 years ago. Then we had a little group of 12 kids. Then we started working in junior church. Then we had a little group of 15 kids. Then we started working with the teens. Then our children grew to 25. Now I'm the principal. Our family's getting larger. And I laugh because I think back 20 years ago, I'm like, ah, children, no, I don't think so. I don't think they like me. They may, as principal, I, I can guarantee you they don't like me. <laughs> but you know what? You just get involved, be active, and God's going to open up doors. It may not be the door you want opened up. Okay? This is not let's make a deal. I will take that door. No, that's not the way it works. You may have three doors, but God's only going to open up one of them. Question is, are you willing to walk through that door, or are you going to sit there and wait for one of the other doors to open? We need to be active. In verse 23, the Bible says, and we talked about this earlier, he was an exhorter. He was an exhorter. We talked about this before. Listen, we, people, we need to be exhorters, every one of us. There are people who are dealing with stress and trouble and trials, Hey, we need to exhort them to trust God and to keep pressing on. It's very easy to get discouraged. Every single one of us, myself included, have been in a place where we're like, this is overwhelming. This is too much. And I thank God that over the years, either my wife, a friend, a brother, somebody would come alongside and said, let's pray. You say, well, is that exhorting? <laughs> you have no idea. Or they come alongside and said, the Lord's got this. A phone call, a text. Exhort people to trust God. Exhort people when there's times of triumph. Listen, it's great to have victories, but you know what? There's still much work to be done. And it's very easy to say, man, this is great, victory, and sit back and say, let me relax for a little bit. No, there's still much work to be done. Our time on this earth is short. And so let's take advantage of all the time. He was an exhorter. Verse 26 tells us he was a teacher. Look at 20, verse 26. That's chapter 10. Here we go. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled together with the church and taught. Well, I'm not a teacher. Every one of us in here knows how we got saved. Every one of us in here can share the gospel. No, nah, I'm just not good. I'm not a good speaker. Yeah, and I'm not good with children. <laughs> Listen, you allow the Holy Spirit to work, and you could do things beyond anything you could ever imagine. Every one of us is commanded. The things, Paul, he told Timothy, the things that thou hast learned, commit thou to faithful men, that they could do what? That they can go and teach others. That's the plan. Listen, if all we do is take in knowledge and we never share it with anybody else, it's going to stop with us. And that's not the plan of God. God's plan is that we take the things we've learned and we tell others and they take it and they tell others and so on and so on and so on. That's what the early, that's what the disciples did. They just kept telling others and they got saved. We heard this morning about the Samaritan woman. What was the first thing she did after she got saved? She ran and told others. That's what we're supposed to do. We are to share the things. Well, I'm not really a teacher. That's okay. God will help you. God will help you. He was a teacher he was committed to his calling in verse 26. They spent a whole year there teaching people. Teaching is a, um, it's a commitment to teach. Because guess what? You know, I was talking to the teachers towards the end of the school year, and I shared this with a couple of them. I said, listen, sometimes you teach, and you teach, and you look, and nothing's happening. And I said, well, listen, you find another way to teach it. And you keep teaching it. Now, some students may not want to learn, but there are some who do. 
And sometimes you may need to take a different approach. And sometimes you may need to stay at it two, three, four, five times. Well, I already gave them a gospel track. They didn't want to hear it. They just closed the door in my face. So that's it. We're just washing our hands and saying, well, they're going to be in hell. That's it. Or are we going to keep at it and be committed to the work? Listen, we, if we're going to have an active approach in the ministry, we need to have a commitment to stay at it regardless of the results. The results are not up to us. They're up to God. All we're to do is just, what does God command us to do? Go. He doesn't say go save someone. He says go and tell them. We're not saving anybody. The Lord Jesus Christ does. He was committed to his calling. I think the problem with commitment is, we, you know, there's a lot of things. Um, sometimes, you know, we're waiting for something better to come along. So we don't want to jump in head first and as we're diving in, oh, wait, something better's over there, but I'm already here. Sometimes we're busy. Listen, every one of us, we live, I, I, I believe that the times we live in now are the busiest times that I've ever seen in my life. And, and listen, I was always a person who's constantly going. But there are so many things, so many things that we can have easy access to. We try and plan our lives from 6 in the morning to 11 o'clock at night, and we have every minute of the day planned out. That makes it very hard to be committed to any one thing. I found this. It's a little bit lengthy. I'm going to read through it really quick, but it's really funny. And as I was reading it, I just kept picturing myself, and I thought to myself, yeah, this is me. How many times has this happened? Let me read this. Some of you may have read this, but I found this online. It's not a true story, by the way, although it could be my story. It says this, this is, I decide to wash my car. As I start toward the garage, I spot the mail on the hall table. I should go through the mail before I wash the car. I lay the car keys on the table, put the junk mail in the trash can under the table, and notice that the trash can is full. So I put the bills back on the table and take out the trash first. But since I'm going to be near the mailbox when I take out the trash anyway, I might as well pay the bills first. I see my checkbook on the table, but there's only one check left. My extra checks are in my desk in the study, so I go to my desk where I find the bottle of juice that I had been drinking earlier. I'm going to look for my checks, but first I need to push the juice aside so that I don't accidentally knock it over. But the juice is getting warm. I should be put in the refrigerator to keep it cold. Heading toward the kitchen with the juice, a vase of flowers on the counter catches my eye. They need to be watered. I set the juice down on the counter and find my reading glasses, which I've been searching all morning. I better put them back on my desk, but first I'm going to water these flowers. I put the glasses back down on the counter, fill a container with water, and suddenly spot the TV remote. Someone left it on the kitchen table. Tonight when we sit down and watch TV, we'll be looking for the remote, but nobody will remember that it's on the kitchen table. I should put it back in the den where it belongs, but first I'll water the flowers. I splash some water on the flowers, but most of it spills on the floor, so I put the remote back down on the table and get some towels to wipe up the spill. Then I head down the hall trying to remember what it was I was planning to do. At the end of the day, the car isn't washed, the bills aren't paid, there's a warm bottle of juice sitting on the counter. The flowers aren't watered. There's only one check still in my checkbook. I can't find the remote. I can't find my glasses. And I don't remember what I did with the car keys. I'm trying to figure out why nothing got done today. It's quite baffling because I know I was busy all day and I'm really tired. I know this is a serious problem and I'll try to get some help for it, but first I think I'll check my email. <laughs> this is my life. You know how many times at the school I walk down the hall and I get all the way down the other hall and I'm like, oh. And the teachers will be like, what, what is it? I said, I, I don't forgot what I came down here for. And I'll turn around, I'll walk back down, and I'm like, oh, that's it. And I'll turn around. You know, it's a pretty funny story, but a lot of us can relate to some of this. Listen, when our lives are that busy and so overwhelmed, it's really hard to be committed to one thing. We have a million things going through our minds. And then we say, man, oh, yeah, you know, Lord, I, I just don't have time for you today. And, and the truth is we really don't because we're so busy with everything else. We need to look at the priorities in our life and say, you know what, some of these things have to go. Some of these things need to be put down at the bottom of the list, not the top of the list. And we need to make God the priority in our life. Let me move on. So not only was he committed, letter D was well learned in the word. If you look in Acts chapter 13 really briefly, talks about how they went, they were called, and now they were in the church, Acts 13.1, that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. If you go through this, they start preaching and teaching in the synagogues. Listen, in order to do that, he had to be well learned in the scriptures. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It means we need to be in the Word of God. Think about this. If we spend 45 minutes on Sunday morning, 
45 minutes Sunday night and 45 minutes Wednesday night. And that's the only Bible teaching we get all week. How successful and how strong in the word are we going to be? Look at it this way. If we're taking a college course, and most college courses that are three credits are about 45 minutes three times a week. If we're taking a college calculus course and we spend 45 minutes on Monday, 45 minutes on Wednesday, and 45 minutes on Friday taking that class, and we never ever spend one single second doing anything outside of that, how successful are we going to be in that class? We're going to fail it. That's what we do. We come to church, we have our Bibles, we, but we don't spend any time with the Lord. And then we wonder why we're struggling in our walk. Listen, it needs to be daily, not just in church, all the time. We need to be well learned. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, that he was bold. He was bold. Listen, in the face of opposition, he was f- bold. In Acts 13, 44, it says, And the next Sabbath they came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. But you know what? Look what it says in verse um, 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. So they came out, they started speaking against him, and he said, Sorry, we're going to speak anyway. We need to have boldness. We can't back down at the first sign of opposition. There is opposition. Listen, people don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. They need to hear about Jesus Christ. And the last point is this. There's assorted answers from the ministry. Listen, we're not always going to get the answers we want. Things aren't always going to go the way we planned. We're not always going to get the results we anticipate. That doesn't mean we stop. That doesn't mean we quit. First of all, there is times of rejoicing. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. In Acts chapter 11, verse 24, okay, he was a good man. And you see at the end of the verse, it says, and much people was added unto the Lord. Souls were being saved. Listen, there are times to rejoice when people are saved. VBS is coming up. We want souls saved. We want those children to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. There is not a greater feeling in the world than that. Praise the Lord for souls that are saved. In Acts chapter 13, 49, we just read that the gospel was being spread. Say, man, nobody wants to hear the gospel today. Keep telling. People will listen. Maybe not everybody, but people will listen. I am so thankful that someone took the time to share the gospel with me. And I know where I was working, and the gentleman that shared the, the word of God with me, the people around him thought he was nuts, including me. But you know what? He never stopped. And I thank the Lord for that. And I thank the Lord for that. In, in verse 44 of Acts 13, he was able to accomplish the seemingly impossible. We just read the verse. It says, in the next Sabbath day, here it is, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if one day the doors out here and you had half a Tom's River walking through those doors? I think we would probably all die of a heart attack if we saw that. They're coming to get us. No, they're coming to hear the word of God. You say, that's not possible. It happened here. Is it not the same God that we serve? Is it not the same Holy Spirit that's empowering us? They were able, he was able to accomplish, they were able to do the seemingly impossible. And he was beloved. Acts 15, 25. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was loved. Sometimes, you know, we just need to tell someone, hey, we love you. We love you. We love them. He was beloved in the ministry. But there were also times of distress. I'll go through this pretty quick. In verse 45 of 13, we talked about this. There was false teachings. This is when the Jews saw the multitudes, they filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So what was their response to false teachings? They stood fast. Listen, you're going to have people try and convince you that this book was written by man. You're going to have people trying to convince you that the words in this book are the words of man and not of God. You're going to have people trying to convince you that there are errors in this book. I'm here to tell you, none of those things are true. Not one single one of them. Every word, every letter from beginning, from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation, are the words of God, and every single one of them were put there by God himself. And anybody who tries to convince you otherwise, you know what you need to do? You need to gently say to them, no, this is the word of God. And if they insist, you need to walk away. That's it. 
there were persecutions in verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of the city. So what did they do? They persevered. Look at the next verse. But they shook off the dust off their feet. They're like, okay, but we're going to keep pressing on. We're going to keep pressing on and we're going to keep serving the Lord. In chapter 14, verse 12, they started worshiping them as gods. And they called Barnabas, Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. And they went on to, th to basically put Paul and Barnabas at a level where they were like gods. Well, what did they do? They sternly rebuked them. Well, listen, be careful because we could easily be puffed up in pride when people... It's good to encourage people and to exhort people. But we need to be careful that we don't allow our pride to elevate us to a place that God never desired for us to be. And it's easy. We've all been there. We all like to hear good things about ourselves. Man, that, 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 that Sunday school lesson, that was great. Or, you know, Pastor, that message, this. Or, man, that song that, that she sang or that he sang, man, that, that was awesome. Oh. And people are, are being encouraged. We've got to be careful. We can walk up going, I was pretty good, wasn't I? <laughs> man, I didn't even realize. I thought I had an off day. <laughs> if I was on my A game, poof, I would have blown the doors off this place. Be careful, because that can happen real easily. And Paul and Barnabas very quickly rebuked them and said, oh no. And then at the end, there's a confrontation with the brethren. In Acts chapter 15, in verse 36, it says, and some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. That's John Mark, who was Barnabas' cousin. And Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and were not with them to work. So here's what's going on. Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. John Mark, during one of their other missionary journeys, had left them. It doesn't say why he left, it just says he left. Paul didn't think it was good, and here was the dispute between Barnabas and Paul. Now, they've been serving together for a year, two years, and here comes the confrontation. Now, this is where I said earlier, he was an exhorter. He was a, 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 the son of consolation. He always tried to encourage people. It very well may have been that he said, listen, I know that maybe he didn't make the right choice, but man, let's encourage him to get back in the ministry, and I think that's a good thing. And Paul must have said, you know what? If he's not going to be committed to the ministry, is this good to have him with us? That's also a good thing. And here you have the, 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 the confrontation between them. And listen, sometimes that's going to happen. Two people could have two disagreeing viewpoints for, for good reasons, but how do you resolve it? Do we argue? Do we hate them? Do we become bitter? Later on, we learn that Paul and Barnabas... Paul commends Barnabas for being his fellow laborer after this incident. So whatever had happened between them, it was fine. They, were, they had gone beyond it. Now, you read on, Paul ends up taking Silas with him, and Barnabas takes John Mark with him, and you don't really read much more about Barnabas after that. But they left on, on at that point, maybe on not the best terms, but later on, they had reconciled to the point where Paul commended Barnabas for being his fellow laborer. If you read over in Galatians, we don't have time to go there, but in Galatians, another confrontation takes place between, this time, Paul and Peter with Barnabas. Peter is sitting, he was what you would call the, the, uh, the disciple to the, to the Jews, where Paul and Barnabas were the disciples to the Gentiles. But Peter, in one instance, is sitting to dinner or eating food with Gentiles. And here comes a group of, from James, okay, that are Jews okay, Jewish Christians, okay, Jews who were Christians, but they see Peter, and Peter sees them coming, and all of a sudden he's like, uh-oh, they're not going to think this is a good thing, that I can't be eating with Gentiles, uh, and he panics, and he basically says, and he starts to shun them as if they're no longer believers. Now, Barnabas is there with some others, and they jump on board, and they're like, yeah, you're right, turn your back on them. Paul finds out what's going on, and he basically gets up in their face, and he says, what are you doing? This is wrong, and the confrontation ensues. Now again, listen, Barnabas wasn't perfect. And 
he may have been at the place where he's like, oh man, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like this confrontation. And, you know, listen, he made a bad choice because you don't want to shun somebody because what somebody else is going to think. But again, we read later on that their relationship had been restored. And I think sometimes, you know, what do we do when there's confrontation? We, we, we remember that we're brethren and we're to love one another. And listen, sometimes we're going to disagree. But we don't have to hate one another. That's what the devil wants to do. Ironically, later on, if you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, as Paul is at the end of his life and he's writing to young Timothy, he utters the words, Mark, John Mark, is profitable. John Mark, who he didn't want to come with them, is profitable. Now ask yourself this question. Was it Paul's rebuke that made John Mark profitable? Or was it Barnabas' compassion towards him? That's an interesting question. Listen, I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe it was a combination. Listen, Paul had his way and Barnabas had his way. Everyone here has a, what does the Bible say, diversity of gifts. We all have different gifts. Some are encouragers, some are exhorters, some are, listen, administrators. Some, but we work together. Now, I don't know what took place, but all I know is that Paul referred to John Mark as being profitable. Maybe it was the rebuke that he gave him for doing what he did. Or maybe it was the love that Barnabas showed him. Or maybe it was both. You know, sometimes somebody may go witness to someone and it's just they don't connect. But they've heard the message. Then somebody else comes along and instantly they're like, oh man, I've had that happen. All of a sudden you talk to someone and they're like, it's like they understand where you're coming from and they understand... That's perfect. But you know what? It was a combination of the two. Each and every one of us has gifts that the Lord has given us to be a minister for His glory. And that's what we're called to do. We are all called to be in ministry, whether it's telling people about Jesus Christ, whether it's involved in full-time, whatever it is, but we are all ministers. We are to be diakoneos, that, that is, servants to our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that that's been a blessing, that the life of Barnabas, while not perfect, was an example of what service should be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the life of Barnabas. We thank you, Lord, for his example. Lord, he was committed. He was a, an exhorter. He was compassionate, Lord. But he was, wasn't without fault. And Lord, we can learn so much from his life and his journeys with the Apostle Paul. And I pray, Lord, that it would be an encouragement to us to continue pressing on and persevering, Lord, for your glory, knowing, Lord, that the Holy Spirit dwells within each and every one of us, giving us discernment, guidance, strength, power. And Lord, when we're struggling, we can cry out to you knowing that you're here and you're there. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.